do us a quick favor guys hit the follow subscribe button share this with someone who would benefit from it and help us grow as the more we grow the better the episodes we'll get thanks guys for helping us and let's get into the episode welcome back to this episode of sculpt the podcast today we have got a bit of a different one hedonism now i don't even know how to pronounce it properly i think it's hedonism i heard well, I've heard people say hedonism, but I would pronounce it hedonism. Don't know if it doesn't even sound right to me. But I'm not too sure. Hedonism. We'll see. Correct me if I'm wrong. Why do I want to talk about this? Because it's very prevalent in today's society. Now, I'm not a philosopher. I am not um, a scholar. I am not extremely well educated. I am not, you know... The people saviour, I am, as I think Aristotle has had, as Aristotle had, uh, he had someone who would literally just tell him, you are merely a man, and that is where I'm at. I'm not uh, higher than anyone, I'm not lower than, mm, I probably would be lower than me, but saying that would then devalue my point of me being higher than people, so wherever I am. Um, I'm not saying that what I'm saying is correct, but I do have my two cents. And I think that whenever I do a video like this, I do try and come with receipts. That's why I've got my MacBook in front of me. Uh, I do think that my receipts are valid, but of course, some of the things that I'll say is, are wrong. Actually, an episode that I want to do is, um, two truths, one lie. So what it would be is I essentially have an episode where I have all of these these facts in front of me and, and research in front of me. And by the end of the podcast, there will be two things that are proven in truth to the highest degree because nothing is really proven, but um, two truths and then there will be one lie and I will tell you at the end of the episode, but you have to guess what the, the lie would be. And the reason why I want to do that is to emphasize how um, everything that I say here is to the best of to the best of my ability, backed in data and, and science and research, but there will always be fault to everything that I say. Therefore, it should be taken with a grain of salt. And also it should be taken with another grain of salt, maybe a bit of pepper if you want. Um, because I live an exceptional life, and when I say that, I mean both extremes, because I don't live an average life. I live a really good life sometimes, and then sometimes I may live a really bad life. So, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> but, I, I come from a point of privilege, and I come from a point of being an exception. So, a lot of the things of which I say may not relate to you, but to the exception, they may relate more specifically to it. And uh, if you are watching this and it doesn't relate to you, then you may just find the stuff that I say informative, entertaining, or uh, contrary to your own beliefs could be thought-provoking, but hedonism. Now, if you've listened to one of my episodes that are controversial before, you would know that I, I like to have my computer in front of me with a lot of notes and things like that, because as I said, I don't want to just spit my opinion without validating it or having it well thought out. So firstly, the definition of hedonism this little part 
will be where we delve into the often overlooked realm of everyday hedonism and exploring seamless, seemingly harmless behaviors that have become normalized in our daily lives. These behaviors such as binge watching, excessive social media use, or overindulgence in comfort food provide instant pleasure but may have deeper implications of our well-being. We discuss how these behaviors contribute to a culture of immediate gratification, impacting our health and our mental well-being. Uh, when I say that, you also probably, if you listened to an episode before, you would know that I don't like talking about the mental well-being or the mental health side, but I honestly just don't have the, the vocabulary to give you a better word. Uh, that's why the sculpted vocab is going to come out one day, because I need to completely create a new vocabulary to where I can put words that replace words like motivation, passion, things like that. Um, because I have all of these things and this is where I have a massive flaw, right? Um, I don't have the vocabulary to, to actually articulate some of the things that I want to say because I am limited by my English because I have tried to speak more German. And with that, I actually spoke more English because I was speaking a very, very low level of English to German speakers who understood English. And yeah, um, I never actually explicitly learned German. I was just picking it up. So my English vocabulary is vocabulary. I don't even know. Uh, there's a lot of flaw in my, in my English language. But anyways, <laughs> that's a different topic. All right. An example of hedonism. Consider... Con consi consider the habit of excessive social media scrolling. Many individuals routinely spend hours each day on social platforms, seeking the instant gratification of likes, comments, and notifications. This behavior, while seamlessly, seemingly innocent, can contribute to a cycle of dependency on external validation and comparison, or just that dependency on instant gratification and dopamine hits. Now, imagine social media as a buffet where each post, like, or comment represents a tempting dish you know, in front of you. You got all these, all these brilliant foods at a buffet. The more we indulge, the more we crave, and that is literally what sugar does. Sugar is, um, you have a little bit, you want to have more. Now, with my eating disorder, I know that, but <laughs> I'm very aware of that, and I see that in real time. So that comes to an endless cycle of consumption. Now, while each serving offers momentary pleasure, the constant buffet can lead to the overconsumption, neglecting our health. And this is the same with social media. When you take these dishes, when you take the likes, comments, whatever it is, and you continue to indulge in it, indulge in it, indulge in it, you don't actually see... That, that's the thing with social media. You don't actually see where the damage is because... One, it may be innocent at a very uh, low level, but because we consume so much of it, even if it is, let's say, if we're rating it at a, a scale of one to ten out of badness, if it even if is if, even if it is a zero point one, we can we we consume so much of it every single day that that zero point one then becomes a ten every single day. So then we're distracting ourselves by ten every single day if we're valuing your life in a score of a hundred. Um, and this is the problem. So 
we don't see this is the same with nutrition and that's why this analogy serves valid because the more you eat the only cue that we have that is stopping us from eating again is one of course your hormones but then physically you feel it with social media you don't really feel that you don't feel like you need to stop so you keep going for more because it is just so instantly uh, gratifying now shallow fulfillment excessive social media use may provide momentarily like i was saying <laughs> momentary pleasure but it often leads to shallow and fleeting fulfillment the constant need for external validation may hinder the development of, of deeper more meaningful connections and experiences the comparison trap the culture of immediate gratification on social media fosters a comparison trap where individuals measure their own worth based on others curated online lives this can contribute to feelings of inadequacy anxiety and the distorted sense of reality. Me personally, I'm probably not the person to speak about when it comes to social media comparison because, um, of course, you know, I will compare myself to people on social media, but I don't obsess over it that much uh, because, and maybe this is, as a guy, maybe more, more relevant. I, I don't think guys typically uh, find jealousy in others, other guys too often. You know, I'll look at someone and say, oh, they He's got a great physique, got a great physique, or whatever it is, right? You know, I will. I'm, I'm a victim of that, of course, but I don't necessarily obsess over that too much. Um, I think other people will more than others, so I'm probably not the right person to speak on the comparison trap. Um, but yeah, impact on your mental state. So continuous engagement in hedonistic behaviors such as excessive social media use may contribute to mental health issues like anxiety and depression. Uh, the pursuit of instant pleasure can overshadow the importance of long-term well-being and personal growth. Now, the big part for me, I think, is actually the desensitization and normalization of it. Now, why that's important? In its most basic term, if you do one thing, you're more likely to do it again the best predictor of the future is the past. So if you have never done something in your life, the best predictor would be that you're probably not going to do it again. If you do something once, the best predictor is that you'll probably do it again because you've done something. Now, that's a very uh, generic rule. And of course, that's not going to be the, the case always. It's much more gray than, than black and white in this, in this sense. But uh, I would rather live in the black and whites here. So the subtle ways in which the normalization of hedonistic behaviors in the media and popular culture can lead to desensitization. We can explore how frequent exposure to depictions of hedonistic lifestyles in movies, TV shows, and advertisements may desensitize individuals to potential consequences of these behaviors. Additionally, we discuss the role of social comparison in fueling hedonistic desires by presenting idolized and often unrealistic portrayals of pleasure-seeking. So, some examples... Movies and TV shows consider popular films or TV series that portray characters engaging in excessive and consequence-free hedonistic activities such as endless parties, substance abuse, or reckless behavior. Very common. Um, I think that pretty much every single like rating above PG means that there is some sort of hedonistic behavior. Like I'm pretty sure that's exactly what the PG, R ratings, whatever that system is, MA. Is that an Australian? No, that's not, that probably isn't an Australian thing. I'm just thinking uh, if that's just my ignorance. But 
uh, essentially the age age rating restriction on movies and whatnot. Uh, pretty sure anything above PG means that it does have some form of, you could say, degeneracy or hedonism. Advertisements. So advertisements that maybe glamorize hedonistic consumption or, let's say, are presenting products as gateways to instant pleasure without highlighting potential negative outcomes. So this this can happen. It's, it's maybe less frequent than the TV shows and whatnot. And it's also not explicitly just in TV shows or movies. It's in YouTube videos. It's in the music that we may listen to. It's in all of these different things. Um, but yeah, it's... And you may think, Nick, no. You know, I watch um, a movie and, and it doesn't make me do it. And, and I'll say, valid. It it might not. It, it might not. And, and the desensitization isn't necessarily by example. For some people, it will be by example. For me, it's not by example. I can watch these uh, degenerate kind of things and not do it myself. But that, that's got to do with my values as a person. And knowing that I will never do that because I know desensitization is the thing, right? So if I was to indulge or act in any of those things, then it would lead to um, further of that action. It's not just going to be a one-off. So, and don't get me wrong, it will be a one-off for some people. But a general, uh, a general assumption would be that if you do it once, you're probably going to do it again. And even if it, if it, even if you don't do it again, you're probably going to have a harder time to stop you from doing it again because you know that you've done it before. So, thinking about an analogy for it. So, imagine media and popular culture as a kaleidoscope of hedonistic images and narratives. The continuous rotation of these representations create a distorted view of reality, blurring the lines between fantasy and actual consequences. And over time, the repeated exposure may desensitize individuals to the potential risks associated with hedonistic behaviors. Now, that is assuming that this person is completely malleable, someone who doesn't have any standards, morals, or uh, p- people helping them in their lives, right? Someone who's extremely malleable. These types of behaviors really desensitize someone. And it com- it creates a sense of normalization. And uh, I have a massive problem with say- like people saying like radical acceptance and radical normalization of, of, of things. Um, because when you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. And... Of course, the analogy that I gave, as I said, is only really true for malleable people. And it's very rare that you will have a completely malleable person. There will be many, many different sources of, you could say, uh, input. Many different sources of input because we are so media-driven. We are so uh, connection-driven. So it's very rare that there will be someone who is completely malleable. But as a general rule of thumb, Desensitization and normalization is not a good thing. And I prefer to be more black and white in this situation. I know that it's not. I, I'm very aware that it's not. But I prefer to walk that line on the edge of caution. Because what I gain from doing these these hedonistic things probably will never outweigh the consequence of continuing to do these things. So let's say if I was to drink alcohol once, is it that good that I run the risk of being an alcoholic? Probably not. I don't think that one drink of alcohol is truly that good that I run the risk of ruining my life through alcohol. To me, that's pretty simple. One drink? No, I'll never drink. 
it's the same with everything else. That's why I am so black and white of this. Why I think it's a concern for normalizing all these things is because normalization of hedonistic behaviors in media may convey the message that excessive pleasure-seeking is not only acceptable, but also the norm. This normalization can contribute to a culture that values immediate gratification over thoughtful consideration and consequences of consequences. Now, a lot of people uh, in you know the social media world will talk about all these different things of how media is purposely uh, getting people to indulge in these behaviors. Now, there may be truth, but I'm not the right person to speak on that. But what I will say is that hedonism and these these degenerate things actually are promoted because it's profitable. Because it, it, it is profitable. And expanding on that, why is it profitable? Okay. When people make something normalized and people get behind it, then the odd one out will naturally conform. And the reason why people will grab or grip towards it is because it is gratifying. It's cheap gratification. It's something that comes without earning it. And I understand why people would naturally go to something. If I was to give you $2,000 for every time uh, you asked for it, then over time, you would be completely desensitized and you wouldn't expect to work for your money because you get $2,000 anyways. If I was to say, okay, I'm, I'm, you're, you're looking for a job, but you still get $2,000 every single day and you come to me and I say, I'm going to pay you $1,000 every single week. Are you going to tell me that you're going to take that job? No way, because you get $2,000 a day for doing nothing, right? So this desensitization and normalization is destructive desensitization to risks. Frequent exposure to hedonistic depictions may desensitize individuals to the potential risks and downsides of these behaviors. This desensitization can reduce the perceived severity of consequences, making individuals more likely to engage in hedonistic activities without fully considering implications. The social comparison pressure. The portrayal of idolized hedonistic lifestyles in media can fuel social comparison. Individuals may feel pressure to emulate these lifestyles, believing that engaging in similar behaviors will lead to comparable level of happiness and fulfillment. Now, this, honestly, um, I think a lot of people talk about, but I don't, I don't see it happening too often that, you know, you listen to one Takashi 69 music video and all of a sudden... Uh, you're in a gang. I don't think that's, you know, the natural sequence of events. But what it does do, I, I, and this is scientifically speaking, right? If you were to never see anything on Takashi 69 and then you've got someone who is listening and consuming Takashi 69 content, the likelihood of either person joining a gang or doing whatever Takashi 69 promotes, which person is more likely? Even if it's, this guy is 0% because he doesn't even know what a gang or anything is like that. So this guy is 0% because he's, he's not even familiar with anything. Assuming this guy only listens to Takashi 69, he is, he's been living in a box his whole life since he was born. He's only been listening to Takashi 69. This guy isn't going to do it. But the guy who does, even if he, let's say, knows that he will never do it, it's still higher than this guy because 
this normalization and desensitization means that this guy actually knows that it's there. He's probably more okay with it. And, you know, maybe he might. Even if he doesn't think that he will, there's still the might. And this is such an extreme example that will never happen. But you can also understand now, well, maybe I would like to uh, think that you understand why I prefer to be more black and white on it. Because I don't think that the risk and reward is there, truly. Profitability of hedonism. So, the economic dimensions of hedonism. I think I just said hedonism. Uh, of hedonism, delving into industries that thrive on promoting pleasure and indulgence. Marketing and advertising strategically capitalizes on innate hedonistic tendencies to sell products and experiences. We also engage in discussions about ethical considerations surrounding the profitability of hedonistic behaviors in the market. So, examples, industries, sectors such as hospitality industry, such as luxury resorts, high-end dining, entertainment, nightlife, premium experiences, let's say uh, the wellness industry, spa retreats, indulgent self-care products. They all are promoting instant gratification. And now I don't have an issue. There's a time and place for specific things as well. But the the lifestyle that is promoted, to a degree, is desensitizing. I am completely desensitized to it being. Um, now, that means that I'm more likely to do them? Yes, definitely. I just said that. Because there's probably a guy who doesn't even conceptualize these things and he will never know just like in the future there will be even more hedonistic things in the future that i don't even know about that that will happen but i can't even conceptualize them right now that's going to happen one day just like when we were you know in the cavemen telling them that they could i don't know do a roller coaster now i love roller coasters but um telling them that they could and that's also instant gratification. Going on a roller coaster, that is instant gratification. But that's it's a time and a place for it. You know, I don't go riding a roller coaster every every day. But um, and I'm also not But telling a caveman that oh yeah, we could try a roller coaster. We it's it's just his time, you know, going on a roller coaster. He wouldn't even know what that means. He couldn't conceptualize what that gratification feels like. Um, so that's what I'm saying, right? So even though uh we may not see this as being something that is promoting uh, this hedonism. Again, not saying that everything is hedonistic. I'm not saying that everything that feels good or uh, is nice to do is hedonistic. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that desensitization to enjoying and, and too much of it can then lead to doing or being fixated on just. I think that a few things just cut out. Um, I hope that I might be able to retrieve this audio. But what I was saying is that I'm not saying that anything of these things is bad to promote like the luxury resorts the high-end dining the nightlife the premium experiences whatever those are I, i'm not saying that they're bad there, there will be a time and place for them uh if that is something of which you feel like isn't destructive but maybe you're getting enjoyment out of i'm, I'm not i'm not for living a boring life but i'm also not for living a life full of instant gratification I want to work for it and um, I hope that I spoke about this before the audio got cut but I made an example of someone who works for $2,000 sorry who gets gifted $2,000 every single day 
that person who gets gifted $2,000 every single day will never work for $1,000 a week. That will, that will never work. Because of the desensitization of uh, gratification that they get, knowing that they can do nothing and get rewarded for it, it will promote a lazy lifestyle. Now, now that's never going to happen. You're never going to have a, a situation where that happens, but... Um, could have similar, actually. OnlyFans could probably be somewhat similar on there. But, um... Essentially... I'm not here to villainize all of these things that are fun to do or are nice to do. I'm, I'm not trying to say that. But what it does do is it does desensitize. The more we indulge in it, these entertaining things, these fun things which provide us this instant gratification, the more we engage and indulge in it, then the more likely we are to continue to do this and seek them more often. And... When I talk about instant gratification, the the example that I gave before about someone who has never even conceptualized, conceptualized these instant gratifying things and where we are now, there will be in the future people who are going through instant gratifying things at, at an even higher level than we are now. The most gratifying thing that humans can probably do, no, I can't even say that. Because it's going to be completely individual. But conceptualizing what is instant gratification and what is hedonistic is to a caveman thousands of years ago, he couldn't even conceptualize anything of what we have now. So if I was to say to a caveman, let's go on a roller coaster and let's have fun, they just wouldn't understand any of that because it's out of their conception, perception. They, they just can't conceptualize it. And I don't want you to also understand me saying now roller coasters are bad and you you ride one roller coaster and then you're addicted to drugs that's not what i'm saying that's definitely not what i'm saying but i'm saying that if you get into the mindset of abundance and you get into the mindset of always seeking that next um let's say the the, the next hit of dopamine or instant gratification or hedonism then it leads to seeking it more and more and more and that's what the analogy was with the buffet right if you don't see the repercussions for it then you should continue to do it. If you don't see any repercussions for doing it, then you should continue to do it. But what we what we know is that the more you do these types of things, the worse it is for you as, a, as an individual, right? Uh, proof, okay, sure. If you were to spend all of your days, let's say you started off going to a theme park once once a week. You go to a theme park once a week and you're like, oh, this is brilliant, this is brilliant, you know? Now, okay, also, this is such an outlandish example. Probably has never happened. Oh, it may have happened, but um, it's not going to happen too often. This is just an example of how this can work, right? If you were to go to a theme park once a week for a month, eventually you're desensitized and your next level of dopamine, you got to do more, okay? That more then becomes, okay, you go twice a week or maybe you go to a different theme park now. Then that next month, you want to do more and more and more, right? Because it's... You're not seeing any repercussions for it. Maybe, you know, maybe you have to take one one less shift a week, but it's not too bad. And it continues, it continues. And you know what? Maybe roller coasters aren't cutting it anymore. Maybe you have to go parties. Maybe you have to go drugs, substances, whatever it is. That continues to grow because you get desensitized to it. You get normalized. And the thing that hedonism promotes is more, more of bad, but you don't see the repercussions for it typically. 
And now again, this is such an extreme example. Most people would probably realize that after the second time they go to the roller coaster or theme park in a week, they'd probably cut back on it because they know that, you know, well, if I continue to seek more and more, I will have to sacrifice more and more to seek more and more. What I mean by that is, you know, if you were to go to a roller coaster theme park every um, every week twice, then you have to give up that shift. Okay, the more and more you do it, the more and more shifts you have to give up. Therefore, there is a natural selection process of stopping that from getting too extreme because, you know, you've got to eat, you've got to sleep, you've got to do something, right? So that sacrifice will probably never get too far, but there will be instances where that does get too far. I'm um, not to say that, you know, you go to one theme park once, you're going to be there. I'm not saying that at all. Um, what I am saying is that when you are promoting a lifestyle of abundance and, and instant gratification and hedonism, then going down that path, I would try and stay as far away from it as possible. It's just not going to be positive. It's not going to be, it's not going to be building you up. It's going to be tearing you down. If we're thinking about sculpting, essentially, you're gonna, you've got a sculptor who's putting even more and more things on top of that sculpture. Like, why are you, why are you adding more and more onto it? You want to refine it. You want to make it so it's a beautiful sculpture at the end of it. Why do you keep on adding like layers and layers to this external shell that has nothing to do with the beautiful sculpture waiting inside of it? All right. Marketing strategies. So there will be specific market strategies that do promote and leverage hedonistic stuff that appeals to create desire and drive consumer behavior, right? Um, McDonald's, you know, all of these other things that... I'm not saying that McDonald's is hedonistic, but what I'm saying is that it does uh, give you that instant gratification, right? So because it's profitable, it will be marketed. And that's what capitalism is, right? I can't say that it's right or wrong because I don't know enough about politics or whatever, but... Um, Essentially, capitalism gives people the free will to do so, to promote a hedonistic lifestyle. And all we can say is, okay, that's not that's not for me, or maybe it is for me, or whatever it is, right? If you're to promote the hedonistic lifestyle, and that's not for you, or if someone was to do that, and, and you say that's not for you, but you then see someone who's promoting the sculpted lifestyle, or whatever that lifestyle is that you want, and you go to that, then you've got to accept the bad and accept the good, because living with just the good or the perceived good is communism. So... Unless you want that, um, go for it. Go for it. Now, the pleasure marketplace. Imagine the market as a bustling marketplace where pleasure and indulgence are showcased as premium commodities. Various vendors representing the different industries compete to present their products and experiences as gateways to heightened pleasure. The more enticing the presentation, the greater the demand. Essentially, the competition marketplace is, um, right, if, if we were to use this analogy in more depth, if you're going from one stall to the other and you've only got a budget of a hundred dollars because that's what your day is right maybe uh, let's say 24 dollars you only had 24 dollars to spend in this marketplace each hour represents sorry each dollar represents one hour of your time if you only had 24 hours you know you gotta you gotta choose the best stall at the marketplace you're not going to spend it on the on the mcdonald's because there's x y and z over the corner for you know 16 bucks and the mcdonald's was eight or the mcdonald's is 17 I'm going to go to the best thing over in the corner. So it's profitable. And this is why hedonism is getting, I, I think, even worse. Even worse. All right. Consumer vulnerability. The deliberate use of hedonistic appeals in marketing can exploit consumer vulnerabilities by tapping into innate desires for pleasure and enjoyment. This manipulation can lead to individuals making impulsive and potentially detrimental choices. 
the creation of artificial needs. The profitability of hedonism often involves creating a uh, creating an Hey Siri, how do you pronounce? I can't even say that. Um, Pepit. I, I can hear it in my head. Perpetuating, 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 perpetuate, perpetuating, perpetuating. I think that's right. Perpetuating artificial needs for pleasure-centric products and experiences. This can contribute to a culture of overconsumption and materialism, where the pursuit of pleasure is prioritized over genuine well-being. Societal impact. The profitability of hedonism can shape societal values and norms, potentially reinforcing the idea that happiness and fulfillment are directly linked to the consumption of specific products or experiences. This can contribute to the materialistic culture that places undue emphasis on external sources of pleasure. This is a fact, right? I'm pretty sure like there's a stat that most people with a nice or most people with a car can't even afford it. Now, if you go even into uh like a low economic Low socioeconomic places, it's like more people spend money on uh, luxury products than... Oh, there is a stat on it about how like the the income bracket of people who spend item, spend their money on luxury items, it, it's like not what you'd expect. It's like people in the, the very average income like spend the most money on like luxury items and the people at the very top just like spend barely anything. Um, and that's kind of... The, the societal impact there. So, ethical dilemmas. The ethical implications of profiting from hedonistic behaviors raise questions about the responsibility of industries and marketers. Should there be limits on how we, on how pleasure is marketed, especially when it involves potentially harmful substances or activities? Now, this is the moral dilemma, right? That's what I was talking about uh, with capitalism and things like that. Now, again, I'm not the person to speak on that. I barely know what capitalism is. Pretty sure I learned that word like a year ago. But, um... Is it the right thing? Is it not? Are we living in a society where that naturally will pr be promoted because it's profitable and because it's a free marketplace? Yeah, we have to accept it to a degree. We do have to accept it because we also then promote the extreme opposite, which is is the right, what I would believe as the right thing. Therefore, we have to also be okay with the promotion of the wrong thing. And that's what that's the world we live in. Is it the right? Is it the wrong? Don't listen to me. Maybe, you know, in the future, I'll get a political guy to come on to the Sculptor podcast. But right now, I'm nowhere to um, give give advice on. All right. So social media and the hedonistic spiral. The influential role of social media in perpetuating. Yeah, it's perpetuating. Perpetuating hedonistic cycles. We delve into the, mechan the mechanisms that drive constant pursuit of validation. Through likes, comments, shares, and social platforms. Additionally, we analyze how virtual hedonistic hedonism can be, can have tangible effects on real-world behaviors, shaping individuals' perceptions and actions beyond the digital realm. So, when we talk about like things such as comments, likes, shares on social platforms, I think what you do have to uh, think about is their number one goal is to keep you on their platform and to to, to create to create this sense that you are missing out or that you need more and you have to also realize that likes comments shares are literally psychologically structured through innate human instinct to create this sense that you need to like 
because it's a validation comment because maybe it's uh, uplifting maybe it's also the exact opposite maybe you're uh what's the word when you're sharing a sharing something that is showing an insecurity or whatever um from within um i can't remember but comments shares sharing is like there's nothing inherently uh wrong with with sharing things like if i see a funny video that i want to share with my mom uh as much as i'm seeking validation for her it's also just like a nice thing because it's like i want my mom to share this joy with me there's nothing inherently wrong with uh sharing joy with others but what that does is that you are then relying on validation and i don't have a massive problem with it but in the past i've i've had to leave group chats because i i've i've seen myself i send i send like this is when I didn't have Instagram downloaded. Sorry, this is when I had Instagram downloaded on my phone. I don't have Instagram downloaded on my phone anymore. I have it on my Mac. Because um, it's much harder to, to, you know... Actually, I don't even know if there are reels on the Mac. But you can't get lost on your on your MacBook, you know, doing reels. And if you do, it's it's harder to. There's a lot more friction. Um, but anyways, I had to leave group chats. Because I realized that I would, like, almost be offended... Not, not like I would be like I wouldn't have any distaste towards them. But I, I would, I would see myself thinking like, oh, they didn't like the the meme that I sent. Or I don't feel too great about that. So I would see this and I would think, why is it that I'm using this validation as a metric for me to see my myself worth? And and I realized that that was just not good for me. And the reason why it was addicting is because. And, and it's got to do with, you know, all these things about humans, how we, we we adapted over time, why it's important, why validation is important. Validation is such an innate human attribute that we needed. And, you know, you, you'll hear people saying, like, and I, I don't disagree with it, but it's just a common thing that you hear these days with a lot of people who talk about, like, the evolution and, and things like that, where, you know, in your tribe, if you were to be ostracized by them, it was it meant death. So the reason why we seek validation within our own tribe, uh, whatever your tribe is, is because we want to be accepted. We want to have validation to know that we, we belong. All right. Validation metrics. Quantifiable metrics such as likes, shares, and comments are virtual forms of validation on social media platforms, right? So that, that, that you have no measurement other than a like count. Now, what does that mean? What does 1 million likes mean truly? compared to zero likes. Now, of course, now there is monetary gain and all of these things, which is decent, but um, what does it truly mean? Now, there will be a lot of people who promote these hedonistic lifestyles on social media. And this is where it comes with, with the value, right? How am I, who am I to tell them that they're doing anything wrong? Who am I to then say that they're being damaging? Oh, I'm, I'm not that guy. I can say what I think, I'm not the guy to tell someone that they're doing something wrong. I will have my opinion and I and I'll probably will steer far, far away from it. So quick little break. Uh camera ran out of storage. So I was saying influences. I'm not saying they're all bad, but naturally they will probably tend to promote a lifestyle which leans towards hedonism because they actually get rewarded for it. Um through financial incentives, right? Because it is entertaining and it is, it's enjoyable to watch. It's, it's enjoyable to watch others do hedonistic things of which we bear no repercussions for. It's a vessel for us to view it and they 
actually get incentivized to do those things where someone who has nothing to live for, they aren't incentivized to do something like that other than to feel good. Where someone gets to get paid to feel good, <laughs> unless you get paid to feel good, I wouldn't suggest doing it. Um, I would say earn, earn your feeling. I think that's a very uh, good rule of thumb. Earn the feeling of satisfaction. Earn that. Don't don't buy it. Don't get it from instant gratification. Earn it. Um, also, what I'm a bit of disclosure on that. It would be hypocritical for me to say that I don't watch TikTok on a Sunday. I watch TikTok on a Sunday because of my rest days. I am a very big advocate for absolutely having the worst rest day of your life on a Sunday so that you guilt trip your way into having a really good week. Now, that's how I do it. It may be, I may be an exception here. It may not be the best way of doing it, but I find that for myself, when I really, really guilt trip myself into having a really good six days and then resting on the seventh through, you know, scrolling on TikTok or wasting a heap of time on the Sunday, I find that that then makes my six days that I have really, really productive. But again, um, it would be hypocritical for me not to admit that. But also, that means that I'm not on TikTok on any other day of the week, ever. I literally delete it and re-download it on a Sunday. All right. The hedonistic paradox. So, the nature of hedonism, exploring how the relentless pursuit of pleasure can often lead to unexpected dissatisfaction. So, the intricacies of immediate gratification versus the long-term well-being of individuals and society. So shedding light on the inherent contradictions within the hedonistic philosophy. So consumerism and materialism. A constant quest for material pleasure and possessions driven by consumerism may provide fleeting happiness, but often leads to a sense of emptiness and unfulfillment in the long run. Imagine a traveler in the vast desert constantly pursuing a distant oasis, promising pleasure and satisfaction. However, as the traveler gets closer, the oasis remains just out of reach, revealing itself to be a mirage. Similarly, the pursuit of immediate pleasure can create an illusion of fulfillment, only to dissipate upon closer inspection, leaving a sense of longgoing. I guess it's essentially what a mirage is, right? Uh, you could say that consumerism and materialism is a mirage. It's a good analogy. Short-term gratification versus long-term gratification. The paradox lies in the tension between immediate gratification and the lasting fulfillment that comes from meaningful experiences and sustainable well-being. The pursuit of fleeting pleasures often detracts from the cultivation of deeper, more enduring sources of satisfaction. Neglect of a holistic well-being. So, hedonistic pursuits, when divorced from a holistic view of well-being, may undermine long-term mental, emotional, and physical health. Prioritizing immediate pleasure can overshadow the importance of building resilience, meaningful relationships, and personal growth. Contribution to discontent. Individuals or societies hyper-focused on hedonistic goals may find themselves in a cycle of perpetual dissatisfaction. As desires for pleasure are met, new desires emerge creating a continuous loop that can leave individuals feeling unfulfilled despite their achievements. Now, where you can draw parallels to is I have a dissatisfaction through the results of which I garner. Um, that pursuit, you could argue, is more beneficial than the 
emptiness that you may feel from a hedonistic pursuit and and trying to find more so the the parallel is the more i achieve in sports the more desensitized i get the more it becomes normalized the more i want now that is culturally ethically and morally accepted that these things are better than excelling in another area of life but to say that me as a person right now who is excelling and and having that same parallel to a positive thing a so-called positive thing who am i to it is a positive thing it's just culturally accepted that 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 is a positive thing and it's also culturally unaccepted that hedonism and that pursuit is unaccepted right but it would be um ignorant for me to say that the life that i'm living right now i could never live that other life i could 100% live that life because the same tendencies and that same parallel that i share with becoming the best version of myself i could also share that with becoming the worst version of myself very easily and arguably that one is more rewarding because there's much more instant gratification i have to work for this much harder but there's also a lot of beauty in that because then you can be proud of that beautiful sculpture at the end of your journey right here are you proud of a bunch of bricks probably not all right (laughs) responsibility of media and advertisers so is there responsibility of media and advertisers to actually uh, mediate this hedonistic life. So the ethical dimensions of how these influential entities contribute to the promotion of pleasure-seeking behaviours and the responsibility they bear in influencing cultural attitudes towards hedonism. So advertising campaigns, specific advertising campaigns that either responsibly promote products and experience or exploit hedonistic appeals for profit. There will be that. There are that. Media portrayals. Media content, including movies, TV shows, and online platforms, either glorify or critique hedonistic lifestyles and values. So, imagine media, advertisers, and content creators as architects shaping the cultural landscape. The structures they build, representing messages, images, and narratives, they have a profound impact on societal values. Responsible construction results in a balanced and resilient cultural landscape. While haphazard building can lead to instability and social disarray. Uh, the reason why you can say that these three things that I mentioned, the, the influences, the advertisers, and uh, the media, it, it's because they do have a big influence on day-to-day life. And, and that's not just because they're, uh, they're very popular, but it, it's they're influential, right? The reason why I said um, I can say the... The, the the lifestyle that I chose to go down is right and, and the other one is wrong is because of the culture. It's because of the media, the, the advertisers and the content creators. Now, explicitly, it may not be them because we live in a very different world now. Um, but the reason why that lifestyle is, is seen as good is because a few hundred years ago, when people were doing the hedonistic things, they were able to identify that is bad, this is good, our culture will promote this and neglect this. Now, Going off that logic, we can also say that they neglect this and promote this because we have both of them in today's society. And and I think that uh, we are leaning towards having a better society, but I also do see people leaning towards a worse society. So uh, I don't know where this will take us because I'm not experienced as a historian, but I do see that there. I, I think there is more hedonistic things being promoted. Would that then have an opposite reaction to then in the future, more positive things being, or what I see as positive things, 
being reinforced potentially. I, I don't know how this historically would go, but it, it's something to think about. Um, I think that's where I'll I think that's where I wrap it up. I, I don't want to go into too much more depth because I'm I'm aware about how long this episode has been, but what I want to leave you with is just just the awareness. Um, I believe that the black and white approach is better because. The, the example that I gave, right, if you've got a kid who was just in a box his whole life, he was literally from birth to now in this box and he saw nothing, then either he would figure something out himself to do that's probably constructive or destructive, but the things of which are destructive would literally no longer allow him to live. So he's only going to do things of which are constructive. So if you were to make your life as constructive as possible and leave no chance for making it destructive, what would you do? How would you act and where would you go? Would you be black and white or would you be in the middle? Would you drink alcohol once and, and never do it again? Or would you never drink alcohol and never be with it? Or would you drink alcohol and then become an alcoholic? I don't know. It, it, it's very gray. It's very gray, but I would rather be more black and white because I leave no chance I leave no chance for there to be any grey. I don't want the grey. I prefer to be in these black and white polars because I know that life is more grey. Life is more grey. So how do I stay away from that? I gotta I gotta live in these black and whites. And now I can't give you an informed um opinion on, on being too black and white. I know that I am very black and white. I have also been uh, punished for my black and whiteness before. But it's an interesting thing. I think that I would be leaning on the correct side, I, I think, um, to to being more black and white on these hedonistic things. And I think that the information that I said today should should back that. But yeah, it's I, I think it's thought-provoking. And I hope you enjoyed this episode because if you did, I'll catch you on the next one.